Those are reasons why I'd quit. But I got to tell you why I won't. I would if I could. Let me tell you that for many of those reasons. But I'm going to tell you why I can't. I want you to look at this passage in Romans 6. In Romans 6, I want to talk to you about what Paul says here. And I want you to write down on your piece of paper, yield. Y-I-E-L-D. Yield. There is no place in the Bible that calls for a minister to resign. There's no place in the Bible that calls him to retire. It is a minister that is a genuine minister of the gospel will give his life to the ministry. There will be no retirement. There will be nothing else. He will be used up, burned up, washed up, and burned out when he's done. And he will have been faithful. But I want you to see something. I want you to see this in this text because many of you want to quit. You want to quit something. Quit your marriage. Quit your job. Quit your relationships. Quit a friend. Quit this. Quit that. I'm going to show you the answer to this. And, it, and, I, and I, I'm going to tell you how I came to this text this morning. I have not shut one document on my computer. And I accidentally pulled up these words that I gave to you three weeks ago. I want you to listen to them. These are my words. Satan will try to stop you from doing the will of God. Satan will try to stop you from doing the will of God. But never forget that the enemy cannot prevail against you if you will only yield to the Lord. You will find God is supplying more than enough grace to match whatever the enemy is trying to do to you. If you will surrender to that divine grace... It will rise higher and higher until it eventually floods every area of your life. Instead of seeing the destruction of the enemy, you will see the awesome outpouring and marvelous grace of God everywhere you look. Well, that's a pretty good indication for each one of you as a barometer or a thermometer to tell you what you see. You just see negativity or do you see grace? I went on to say... So, when the situation looks bad, don't be too surprised to hear God's Spirit say, pour it on and keep it up. Don't stop for a minute. Keep pressing ahead. It is in dark and difficult moments like these that I love to work the most, I told you. This is when my grace super exceeds the darkness of the world. Wherever sin and darkness abound is where I really pour out. My grace. Well, those are really a nice sentiment. But I'm going to tell you something. That's yesterday's bread. We need a Bible passage to teach us this. And there is one. From a man who suffered more for the gospel than anyone, save Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall 
not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are a slave to the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading leading to further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to illumine this text with your words, with your thoughts on this matter, and Father, for you to drive it deep into all of our hearts, namely mine. I ask this believing simply in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to quit, then you must not yield to the Lord. The answer to giving up is yielding. Yield is a powerful word. All throughout the Old Testament you have the word yield used. And it is used in an agricultural sense. It's used that if you plant something, you will yield something. Oddly enough, here in the New Testament, here in Romans particularly, verses, these three, the verses we've just read, it appears to you as the word presented. But it is the word yield. It is the word yield. It is the word that says to make available. To make available. To provide. To furnish. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do, and do not go on making available, providing or furnishing your members of your body to sin as instruments. And so the thing is, is well, what do you do? You, you've all heard the story about the man that got up that one Sunday morning and was looking at his wife and said, Honey, I just don't want to go to church today. And she said, Well, you have to go to church. I don't want to go to church. I'm tired of going to church. I want to sleep in, but you have to go to church. I'm not going to church today. And he said, but, she said, But you're the preacher. Well, began to soften my heart this morning with the own blows that I give myself was the fact of reading the passage in Hebrews that we have a high priest that is eternal. God's priests that were on this earth were not eternal. They were fallen men. And it was proven. They died. But what does this have to do with when it's time to leave? Well, it's time to leave if you're done yielding. That's it. If you're just not going to yield to the Lord, it's time to go. It's just time to go. Look what happens here. Paul comes to a preliminary conclusion that is all mixed in with the apostolic mandate he has given thus far in the book. And this command 
is a command from Christ Himself that He received. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul is using a structure of Greek here, literally, that says this, a justified person can continue in sin, but he ought not to. I'm glad you're glad I read the Greek. That's pretty simple. A justified person can continue in sin, but he ought not to. And so when you look at the text, it says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. Do you remember, the Bible calls us our pre-conversion, our pre-conversion life as we're called old men. Remember that? It says that. Our former life, in the old man, we were under sin. And we were under sin because our natures are corrupt. And our nature rules our soul. It rules our souls. Sin was the monarch on the throne of our heart. Some one writer said, Augustine, St. Augustine said that it's like when you're, when you're the old man in your sin nature, it's like the devil, the law is riding the, the back of the horse. Whereas when you're born in Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords is now riding horseback. I, Sherry gave me a shirt the other day that's, that's actually very visible in our living room, and it has a, 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 a horse with a drunk cowboy on it and a dog, a lab, sitting in front holding the reins, and it says designated driver. <laughs> or maybe he's just asleep, I don't know. It just said designated driver. I want you to write it down. A justified person can continue in sin, but you ought not to. Sin is the monarch on the throne of the heart when we are lost. It is the monarch. It is the king. But it is no longer the case for the Christian. It is no longer the case for the Christian. Now there are plenty of folks that say they're Christians and it is evident that they are not. All they have to do is open their mouth. A fool gives full vent to what he's thinking. Just listen and watch. They'll try to convince you. They'll speak. But you know what I would tell you? The longer I go in this ministry, the bolder I become, the more I'm starting to think, I don't really know the God you know sometimes. Not you, but I, about some people. So I, I really, I'm going to say that here eventually. I really don't know this God you're, you're talking about. Because it's not the black and white pages of my Bible. I've heard people say, I could never love a God that does this or that. Well, <laughs> I don't know your God. I could, never, I could never love God if He hadn't changed my heart. Not because of what He does, but He changed my heart. And the Bible here says we're to present ourselves. The Christian is no longer has sin, listen to me, as the dominant principle of his life. Sin as a believer is no longer the dominant principle of your life. Well, it's my personality. Sorry. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You're not going to be perfect, but you can get closer to it. No longer can sin have a dominant 
principle in a person's life and the old sin nature, listen to me, still there. The old nature still there. I still have the old sin nature. I want to fight. I'm a fight looking for a person to stand up to me. I was talking to a friend the other day. He said, you've got a hot temper, don't you? And I said, I do. He said, where does that come from? I said, my sin nature. And he said, do you fight fair? I said, nope. I said, if you kill me, that'll be the best thing you did because you're going to limp the rest of your life. You will know you've been in it with me. I would never want to fight a guy like that that just wants to hurt you. That's my sin nature, to fight. However, the sin nature is a usurper. It almost usurped me this morning. It's a usurper. It has no right to reign or rule in the body, but it will reign if you allow it. If you allow it. So look what he says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments, unrighteous, but present yourself to God as those alive from dead, from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. So here's my here's the sermon right here. Okay? That's the scripture in handwriting. Let me show you this word present. I want you to get this down. The word present means make it available. You make yourself fully available. You provide, you furnish. You, in other words, it's this. Write it down. It's to cause to be. So no one can do that for you. Preacher can't do that. Spouse can't do that. No one can do it. Jesus can't do it. Holy Spirit can't do it. You have to do it. Present to cause to be the members of your body to be instruments of righteousness. Now, what is this word instrument? I looked it up. I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's a word for a trumpet or a guitar or a drum set. No, it's, it's a very unique word, and you men that work a lot with your hands would know the answer to this question I didn't find the answer to. But there certainly has got to be some tools out there that have only one purpose. Just one purpose. I mean, I thought, well, maybe the washer to the lug nuts on my truck. It has one purpose. It's to unlock the wheel. But I'm figuring, you know, Duluth has this thing every week. They put, a, they put out these tools to say, can you name what tool this is? It's like, <clears throat> there's tools out there at, at the Cracker Barrel. I have no idea what they're for. But is there any tool that has just one single use? I mean, it's, you can't use it to knock someone over the head. You can't use it to pry off a pickle jar lid or something, one tool for one thing. I'll, I'll be interested to know about that, but here's what I want you to understand. That's what this is. This word instrument means a tool used for a singular, specific end. A singular, specific end. You say, what's that got to do with quitting? Because quitting is all about your Self. We are tools to be used and to present ourselves 
to furnish God, to make available to God, to provide to God, to cause to be the instrument that He designed us solely, singularly, completely, fully qualified as for His purpose. Period. But if you don't yield, then you become an instrument of sin, which is what He says. Look what he says. Yield, make available, provide, furnish the members of your body, not to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present it to God as those alive from the dead. Listen to me. Look at this. Everybody look at me. Let's say we go out to the cemetery, okay? We go out there. We go to whatever cemetery you want to go to, and there's your loved one out there. It's buried in the ground. Okay, their body's there. They're not there, thank God. But let's say we go out to seminary. Cemetery. <laughs> See, I just did it. <laughs> that was the biggest joke in semin- seminary. We'd say going to cemetery. It's not a cemetery. It's a seminary. And uh, so you go to the cemetery, the graveyard, and all of a sudden, God comes walking through the garden and starts raising the dead. That... Your loved one comes out of the ground, fully clothed, the best looking they ever looked in their life. And imagine this. Now imagine this. This is where it gets absurd. You're going through the the graveyard. God begins to raise people from the dead. And people know that God raised them from the dead and they walk past Him and don't acknowledge Him. This is the scourge that is on the American church today. It's looking for water slides. I mean, I, I don't know how much those billboards cost down there on Sam Rayburn Tollway. But every week, I can watch one church's thing every week of who the, the, and the preacher standing there and they're having this superstar preacher. It's like, when does he ever preach? And I've listened to him preach. He doesn't. But it's to draw a crowd to get the Krispy Kremes. The church has a McDonald's in it. That's when you want to be at church all day. Is that ridiculous? It's a great assembly of Scripture taught, Scripture birthed, formed Christians. Not a big, humongous 501c3. And so the reality of it is, is that people come in and they, they say, all right, I'm going to present myself to God. How are you going to present yourself? On my terms. Sorry, you're not yielding. It's like somebody giving me a piece of jeans pie and cutting the crust off. That would be wrong. Well, we gave you a piece of pie. You did not present me the piece of pie. You did not yield that piece of pie to me. Because you cut the crust off. There is no half-truths and there's no half-measures. You're either all in or you're not. You're yielded or you're broken. And so he goes on to say this. He says, But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness of God. Write this down. You are here now alive from the dead. Can anyone say amen? If you're dead, say amen. Good. You're alive from the dead. That's who you are. That's your identity. You're alive from the dead. 
And what are you? You are instruments of righteousness to God. When a person sits there and says, God doesn't use me, can't use me, or something, it's like, read your Bible. It is right there in there. You are alive from the dead, and your complaining is dead works. You're alive. Hallelujah. You're alive. I don't feel like I'm alive. Well, you may not be living, but you're alive. Because, as I told you, a justified person can continue in their sin. But he ought not to. And so what does this go on? He says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin, which is instruments of wickedness. You should write that word down. It says it's instruments of wickedness for, right, for the unrighteousness. He's not talking about the body. I want you to understand what he's talking about. He is talking about the mind. He is talking about the heart and everything else. He's talking about the sarks. S-A-R-X. Like X and bacon. Sarks. What is the sarks? That is your flesh. It is your flesh. It is where, the, listen, in your flesh, there's something that resides there. And what resides in your flesh is your sinfulness, your humanity. It is actually the physical aspect of a person, the flesh. But it is understood in the Bible as to be the seat and throne of rebellion. The flesh. The flesh. The sarks. And so he sits here and he says, go ahead and understand this has got to be, you've got to put your mind and your heart in it and everything else. Nothing what makes up a human being is to be yielded as a tool or an instrument of sin. Nothing. Nothing at all is to be used as a tool or an instrument of sin. Nothing. And so, he says, offer yourselves to God. And we recognize something here. That God is sovereign and we're to surrender ourselves to Him. As though, but rather, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You, He is sovereign because He raised you from the dead. He proved it. He proved it. And so when you imagine the idea of somebody being raised in the graveyard in the presence of God and walking right by God not even acknowledging Him, I'm going to say something about that. That's not yielding to the Lord. That would be a, quite a travesty, don't you think? It would be great disrespect. No, we're, we are to yield ourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. You write that down. That's the whole way you keep on keeping going. You yield yourself to God as those who have been made alive from the dead. You can have as many lists as you want on how to quit your job, when to quit. But if you yield yourself to God, then you have to know something. You have to know that what He started, He finishes. He's put the root in the ground. He doesn't make junk. And faithful is He who calls you and He will do it. But you can't get to that attitude if you won't yield. You cannot get there. So... He goes on to say this. Watch this. I'm going to teach you some English now. Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. I want you to look at that word shall. 
I want to tell you something about shall. I learned this in my master's writing for Dr. McDowell. I never knew this. He was a grammar genius. My page, my papers reflected it too that I wasn't. But there is a difference between the word will and shall. And there is a reason the word shall is used here. It's not to sound more formal, but the word shall, when it is used in the first person, singular, I, shall, or the third, or the first person plural, we shall, well, that is the proper use of the word shall in the king's English, not American, but in the king's English. But it is perfectly appropriate to say I will or we will. But when you say I shall, this is a jurisdictional term. In other words, the word shall has a legal weight to it where will does not. It's jurisdictional. If you read legal briefs or rulings, you will see the defendant shall, the judge shall, the lawyer shall, the jury shall. You see it all the time but it is because it's jurisdictional. It is a very heavy word. And here's what it means. Here's what it means. The word shall being used right here means that what is being said is to dominate the reader completely by law. What's he say? For sin shall not. Whoa. You realize what that means? See, some believe that they can't control the temple. Some believe they can't control this. Some believe they can't control that. It's just a lost cause. Who are just accept it and get over it? Not. Because the Bible says right here that it has no mastery over you. Do you see that? Do you see the brilliance of the word, shall? It has no jurisdiction. It has the, it has the full weight of law. He said it, that settles it. What? That you no longer is not a master over you. Sin is not your master. For sin shall not be your master. And guess what? That's in the future tense as well. It's also in the infinitive. It's one of those weird things about English. For you are not under the law, but under grace. To dominate you completely, it's speaking of you now and in the future. You say, well, what hope is there for me? Because he who began a good work and used faithful to complete it. Philippians 1.6. Amen? He's able to supply all your needs according to his riches, glory, and grace in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Look, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Listen, you could put there may, must, will, or is in the place of shall. It would still work, but it would not carry the weight as it does with the word shall. So I never, ever imagined that I shall ever learn about shall like that again. Well, you will. Do you not know that when you present yourself, when you make available, when you provide, when you furnish, when you cause yourself to be someone's slave for obedience, you are the slave of the one whom you obey, either it is of sin that results into death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Now this word slave is an interesting word. 
because it's used two different ways. And the best slave I can show you in the whole world is not Kunta Kente from the movie Roots. It's Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2. The first exposition I ever wrote in seminary, which I couldn't even spell, exposition can't spell it even now, was on this passage. Philippians chapter 2, I just got to find it somewhere in the New Testament. Gentiles eat pork chops. That's how I remember it. Philippians, Colossians. Watch this. Listen to me. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy. Paul is writing his sweetheart church. I used to call it First Baptist Post. I now call it the journey. But First Baptist Post, awfully close. Fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing of selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but those of the interests of others. And then he says how to do it. He says, have this way of thinking in yourself, which was also in Christ. Watch. For although existing in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a slave. He took upon himself the form of a slave by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. You know what you have a picture of there? You have the perfect picture of yielding. You have the perfect picture of exactly what we're to look like. Yieldedness, presenting ourselves, emptiness, all for Him. That's what it means there. Look what he says in the text. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, which we now know you're not, because why? You've been raised from the dead. You became obedient, to the, to, for, uh, you became obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which you were committed. Now, I have pastored nearly 30 years, 25 years, in the, probably the greatest upheaval time in the modern church, where people just go, because the church is not growing. There's church buildings growing, going up everywhere, but they're just, they're migrations. There's no, their church is not growing. Um, Southern Baptist reported this year, one of my classmates from my doctoral studies, the president of the convention, Bart Barber, um, reported this year this was the highest year of baptisms in Southern Baptist life. But they can't claim to only have 14 million members now. They can only find six of them, and that's on Easter Sunday. And, 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 you know, the Methodist church over here is about to split, joining the World Methodist Congregation, leaving the United Methodist because of theological drift. They're going to the right side, fortunately, for them. It's falling apart all over. And so you've got all these 
rock stands and fireworks stands popping up everywhere to entertain people. And that's what's going on. Tony Robbins has lost a lot of money with these pop preachers that are doing uh, all this prosperity speaking and motivational speaking. And the nation looks like it. And see, what we have in this picture, though, is that for us, we're taught the doctrine of God. And in these 25 years, it has been tooth and nail for me to teach doctrine again to the church. And fortunately, I'll die doing it because there's finally people willing to listen to it, to know the doctrine of the church. Doctrine is not a man-made thing. It's not any more man-made than the Bible is. It is what does the truth say? And an explanation of that is what is right. He says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient to, in the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. Now let me tell you about the heart. I told you about the flesh, so write this down about the heart. <clears throat> Never ever say to somebody, I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. Because you don't, you know, it's like somebody one time said to me, I was really being a smarty pants. They said, you just don't know my heart. I said, thank God I don't. Because it's full of spiritual wickedness. That's what the Bible says. It's a wellspring of all evil. The heart. I'm speaking from my heart. Don't. The heart, according to the Bible, is the locus, or you can write down the center, of the person's thought, mind. The heart. So when you all tell me to preach from my heart, thank you, I'm preaching from my mind. Because that's what it is. Thought. It is where the volition is, the volition. It is where the emotions are, and it is where the conscience is. That is where you know right and wrong is in the heart, according to the Scripture. All right? And so what does he say here? He said, you became obedient from a heart, from your, from your mind, your volition, your emotions, your conscience... You are all in, is what he's saying, that you've yielded to the teachings, to the doctrine to which were committed to you. What was that? What this letter's about. And by the way, regarding slave, let me show you something else about that slave. I, I forgot to say this. Go over here to chapter 1, verse 1. Look what the third word is. Paul, a slave. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ called as an apostle, having been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, and so forth and so on. The idea is simply this. We do not offer our parts of our body, some parts of our body to unrighteousness. We are not to offer any part of our body to unrighteousness. Totally, completely, and it is not to be done because... It is just not to be done. It's not to be done because it comes from a heart that has been instructed in what is right. Have you ever been around people? I'll, I'll give you an example of this. My own family. I don't have any relationship with my mother's family and never will. And uh, I did a wedding some time ago. God's going to have to do a major work. And, and when He's ready to do it, He'll do it. And that's not on the... <laughs> That's not on the top of the menu right now. But I remember my cousin Joe sitting at the wedding. Joe was in the Marine Corps. I don't know how he made it. He's wider than he is tall. He's a fighting Texas Aggie. They're all Aggies. They worship it like a cult. 
And I've never met Aggies like them. They shouldn't be Aggies because Aggies are nice people and they're not. They're not. And his son, Greg, was getting his master's degree. And, you know, the guy that runs the First State Bank here, Ryan Morris, got his master's of business administration from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. It is the greatest business school in the nation. And he's built a billion-dollar bank. And he's to be celebrated for it. He's done good for a hometown boy. But I remember sitting there and listening to Joe tell his son, you don't need to get a PhD from the Wharton School to be able to do all this stuff. Well, who in the world was sitting at the table talking about a PhD? Not me, but who had one? And you know what? This is what I want to say to you. You never, if you're right, you never have to make somebody wrong to be right. And some of you lovingly need to understand that's just the gospel truth. If you're right cannot stand without somebody being wrong, then you're not right. You know why? Because right's always right, it's never wrong, and it's always good. And if you've got to make somebody else wrong because of your bad behavior, well, you ain't right. You're not even right in the head. You're a nuts. And you need to get help. And I'll tell you why. Because one day you're going to do that and somebody's going to kick you right back. That's not yielding yourself to righteousness. That's a demonstration of yielding yourself to the flesh. You see? Does it make sense to you? Here, he says this. Look what it says. It says, you have a heart. You've learned this from the teachings. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin. Write this down. You've been freed from sin. Now, who tells you you're not freed from sin? The devil. Why does the devil say that? Because he cannot tell the truth. So he'll never tell you you're freed from sin because he can't tell the truth. So he'll always tell you you're not freed from sin. But the Bible says this, You are freed from sin. You have now become slaves of righteousness. So let me explain it like this. Verse 18, Having been released, having been granted freedom, you have now become and are to be dominated by righteousness. That is your lot and inheritance. You can just sit here and say, I don't have to be this way. I can be who I am, who He says I am, and that's enough. But I cannot understand who I am unless I yield to Him. This is one of the greatest truths I can tell you. You will never, ever know God personally reading the Bible. You will only know God personally when you obey Him. There are plenty of professors at seminary there are, plenty profess- there are plenty of Ph.D. preachers and masters and uneducated preachers all over the world that do not have a clue who God is, but they know everything about Him. If you believe that the Bible is still being written, you don't know God. And I'll tell you why. Because His work is finished. There is not more revelation. We couldn't contain it if it was. And there are plenty of cats that believe in what's called open theism, open revelation. That's what took out the pastor at Forestburg a couple years ago. That very thing. It took him out. A good man. And he got taught it by some charismaniac. And he fell for it. 
and he lost his job. He's cursed God and left the church now. Lives in Tucson, Arizona. Forsook the doctrine of the truth. This is what it says we are. Every bit of this. We are to make ourselves available to provide, to furnish, to cause to be nothing to do with impurity or lawlessness. Because notice something, what this says. At verse 19, it says this. Result, lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness. Write this down. Sin breeds sin. And it breeds like a rabbit. It breeds like sin. Sin breeds like sin. Sin, sin, sin. And so what does he say? He says, therefore, present your members. Permit, per, present, yield, make available, provide, furnish, cause to be every bit of you as slaves to righteousness, which will do something. What will it do? Result in sanctification. What's sanctification? Well, just happen to have it. Pray it every week. Listen, these are the Bible verses on sanctification. Write down Ephesians 6 verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Okay? Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, not to the glory and praise of us, Colossians, and then it, and it goes on. Here's another verse, and I wrote the wrong verse down. <laughs> Be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience and joy. You're never, ever going to be there if you don't yield. And that's what this morning was all about for me was yielding because I didn't want to yield. But see, if you do, God will use it. God might help someone on the journey you're on learn from you. Yield. Just yield. Present yourselves completely to Him, whatever you're facing. And it ends with a beautiful phrase. Watch this, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, you had none. Therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification, and the end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you bow your heads?